Hello. Welcome back to the Tony Room. Welcome back to Michael and Benjamin's podcast. I am the Michael of Michael and Benjamin's podcast. And I am joined today by the man who has been described as Ireland's most culturally sensitive ambassador. It's Ben. That's not true, Michael. I'm one of our least sensitive ambassadors. So least sensitive that I don't actually have an ambassador position. (laughs) So least sensitive. Such Um, grammar. Such grammar. (laughs) Such such words, Michael. Mm. Such words. Um, Yeah, no, generally speaking, I tend to to live with, with one foot in mouth. Ben, we are going to test that theory today because we're talking about a culturally sensitive, several culturally sensitive topics. And we're going to have to see how much of this I'm going to have to edit out. In separate news, this is Ben's last podcast, <laughs> um, because next week he'll be uh, culturally whipped to oblivion. Yes, Ben, do you want to stick in the theme music? <gasps> theme music for the podcast. We don't actually have any theme music. But I hope someone will make some up for us I don't want to name any names Rachel, I hope it's Rachel (laughs) Yeah, still funny, still funny (laughs) Benjamin, welcome back Thanks, I have returned Um, I haven't let you down this week Oh. Notice, notice that from from bloody podcast usurper yeah. Shane uh, hashtag podcast usurper hashtag hashtag, hashtag uh, podcast wanker oh Jesus getting a bit tense yeah. Benjamin very touchy um, speaking of things which are not ideal <laughs> um, smooth as silk. yeah very good um, Benjamin as you know and as the Hollywood higher ups know we record this podcast on a Sunday morning into Sunday afternoon we do that was the legally mandated time by the podcast union of the world yes and my lady friend, <laughs> your lady friend. you can only have that room for two hours a week <laughs> she won't like that she um, won't. no she won't that was not a flattering impression no um, anyway um, the, the Hollywood higher ups Ben as you know they have it in for us and they really, they really stuck it to us this week by having the. Is the Super Bowl on a Sunday every year? It is. I think yeah. it is Super Bowl, Bowl Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, there were lots of trailers and teasers and little releases and uh, breaking news, and we missed it all because you record before the Super Bowl. Yeah, the son of a bitch. Those sons of bitches. <laughs> so Ben, we're gonna, in a kind of begrudging way, just kind of fly through this because every other podcast covered it last week, and uh, we're late to the late to the game, but not without some some. Relevant insights. Oh, yeah, we don't might, have any. We don't have any. I'm just that might be setting us up for a fall. Yeah, well, we've we've always set ourselves up for this. Is pretty much the hubris podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Call it that. <laughs> well, what's be a good name for a podcast about hubris, but in a small room? You, you room hubristics, like the acoustics hu- or something like yeah. that. Yeah, hubris hour. Ben, probably the biggest news of the podcast was there was an Endgame trailer did you enjoy it it was very serious wasn't it the the thing that sprang to my mind almost instantly when watching that trailer was the Deadpool line from Deadpool 2 where it's like oh you're so serious what are you a DC movie uh, and I, I was very struck by that as I watched the um, the trailer it, it's, it's very serious but not us isn't it interesting that they did a 30 second trailer of people looking mopey not a single action uh like six sad superheroes and a raccoon. Not a quip. Not a single quip. Captain America chewing his own jaw. He enjoys and that. Yet it's still going to be the most successful film of all time. It, it has to be. It's very long. They're toying with the idea of an interval. An apparently, interval, an intermission. Which I'm. 
somewhat less news for me because when I saw it in Italy, they have an interval in that cinema. Do they? So when I watched Endgame the first time, no, there was an then. interval. You watched. You watched. Uh, oh, when I watched War. Infinity War. Unless. Do you have? Do you have? Do you have an insight here that we don't know about? No, I wish. Um, Ant Man is all but confirmed now, though. I guess from the trailer. What do you mean? Ant Man was very clearly fighting alongside Captain America. In ah, was yeah, there not some debate? I don't think so. That's okay. We've all, we've all, all uh, Ant Man was going to be in. So go on. Also, apparently on. Marvel fans are quite ticked off because the original Infinity War trailer now turns out to possibly be one of the Endgame trailers. You know that running scene with Captain America, Black Widow, um, the Deja Majore woman yeah. whose name I can't remember, which is definitely going to get me in trouble. Uh, Okoye? Okoye? Yeah, possibly. Uh, and Hulk, that, that, that is actually who's been left after the, the snap. So people are now no. thinking that, yeah, people are now thinking that they're running towards something after. But Captain America had a beard. Yeah, but it, it Black mean, Widow had blonde hair. We don't know how this is going to go. That could be the first five <clears> seconds <throat> after the snap. We don't know. Them charging towards something, trying to get answers or something. I don't know. Maybe there is ice cream. Know. Maybe there's ice cream. I mm. charge for ice cream. <laughs> yeah. You charge, we charge, we all charge for ice cream. Yeah. And true justice in the American way but for Captain America. Don't you? Aren't you lactose intolerant? Wouldn't you be very farty if you charge for ice cream? Well, in today's very sensitive society, Michael, I'm sure someone would have a gluten-free lactose-free option. Very good, Ben. Speaking of today's very sensitive society, did you enjoy the trailer for Captain Marvel? Oh, God, it, it didn't make me happy, Michael. Ben, there, this film's marketing seems to be alienating some people. A large demographic of male comic book readers. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, because you and I have many, many issues with fanboydom and mm. the the threat inherent within it. But it seems to be aggressively giving the middle finger to anyone that has enjoyed comics from a, a younger age. It's interesting. Higher, faster, further was interesting. They then soundtracked her voice. Go on. And it's aggressively, I'm a woman, try to keep up. Mm. Oh, which is fine. Is it? If it didn't alienate such a large group, it's almost daring men to dislike it. I don't... It was bizarre to me. It was the worst trailer I've seen for that movie. The last, the previous trailer made me quite excited for it. Mm. But I did mention in, in my previous reaction that that tone seemed to be there. That smug kind of tone. People don't... Uh, and it seems to have elevated itself in the new one. There's a large minority... I say it's a minority. One hopes it's a minority. But there is a vocal minority of men on the internet who do not like Brie Larson. Is it because... Mm, this is going to get me in trouble. <laughs> is it because she does not necessarily fit into what would be deemed the ideal female lead for a superhero film? You mean she's not a wank fantasy? She's not a wank fantasy at all. Ah. She's got some serious... Well, okay, it depends. That's obviously a subjective term. But she's... <laughs> she's a wank, a wank... A man's wank fantasy is his own, Michael. Okay. Um, possible name for this week's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, a wank fantasy of one's own. Um, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Brie, Brie Larson is not traditionally uh, objectified. I find Brie Larson very attractive. I'm, I'm sure you do. You're a very, very modern man, though, Michael. I... That's not what I think I've, you know, there's, there's a certain point where we're doing this podcast. So we kind of have to watch these kind of things just so we know what's, what's going down. Yeah, sure. And like, 
the word I've heard from most, and it is angry male fans mostly. Yeah, it would be. But smug, it's interesting that you said it. Smug is the word that's getting people. Brie Larson seems to be very good at a smug expression. Hmm. There are a lot of expressions on her face that could only be defined as smug. But I mean, who's who's the cornerstone? Who's the founding father of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Samuel L. Jackson. Ro- Robert Smuggy Jr. <laughs> Um, Robert, yeah, yeah. So it's it's, it's probably a sexism thing. I, I I just don't think men like being confronted with that. I think the bigger risk is that she's going to be the Deus Ex Machina. That is, I, uh, yeah. I, I I didn't want to believe that in the last trailer, but it seems like with the the Nick Fury, like I've never seen anything like her. She's the best we've ever seen. Like mm. she's she's untouched potential. I don't know. Are we are we been, are we heading that way? I didn't like the tone. It seemed even for and I'm not really against the Captain Marvel movie at all. It doesn't faze me at all that it's a woman and blah blah. I'm sure bloody Scarlett Johansson is a bit like what the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, it doesn't bother me. But it does seem like they're being like, go on, dislike this film, mm. try. Yeah, interesting. Try. I I wouldn't be madly surprised if she shows up in Infinity in Endgame. And Thanos smacks the shit out of her. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. I, I would be impressed if they had the balls to pull that off, but I, I don't think it's going to happen that no. way. Um, I, I do think it's it's somewhat suffering from the Black Panther effect. Go on. Um, in that you and I have both touched on the fact that Black Panther is not necessarily the best Marvel film that's no, ever Ragnarok come out. Is. Culturally speaking for us, yeah. Culturally speaking, it is definitely one of the most significant Marvel films to come out. I mean... But it's riding that cultural wave all the way to the Oscars. The Oscars, Ben. Now, you and I have never paid much attention to the Oscars anyway, because it's... Because it's, it's all... largely political and exactly. one year instead of Saving Private Ryan, Shakespeare in Love won because, noted bad egg, Harvey Weinstein is very good at greasing palms. Yeah, and... Uh, I mean, it's... I can't it's, think of anything lewd no, to say but about it, Harvey Weinstein. No, but it's not... You know, in terms of deeming what is good and what is not, it's not very useful. It's not a good barometer for, for quality filmmaking. It is an excellent barometer for what's popular. Yeah. Um, uh, but popular films don't tend to win either. No, but also, I mean, touching on that Oscar thing, which is a weird segue that we've somehow found our way into, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody has been nominated for a large amount of awards. It is I'm a feeling so Bohemian terribly, Rhapsody. Terribly edited um, film and right. it's it's nominated for best editing I haven't seen it. Uh, but it is now mired in controversy Michael because bloody Brian Singer has a fresh wave of uh, touching young men oh, allegations classic, brought against him classic Briny Singh and very interestingly the BAFTA awards have suspended his nomination oh, for best film as a result of that because the BAFTAs are more against touching boys than the Oscars that's risky territory. They certainly don't support sexual abuse as much as the Oscars seem to, or <laughs> tolerate sexual abuse as much as the Oscars seem to, but I don't know. Benjamin. Yes. You know what else is on The Twilight Zone? That nice. was terrible. That was, a, that was a good segue. Uh, yeah, we got a little teaser trailer for The Twilight Zone. Not very relevant to anything in the actual series. It was set in the stadium of the Super Bowl. Oh, no surprise. Um, and it's just Jordan Peele watching himself in a stadium and various kind of interesting effects used kind of slightly paradoxical effects he watches himself shakes his own hand that kind of thing uh, not a euphemism there Jordan Peele wasn't shaking his own hand 
air quotes. Is that? I don't um, know if anyone has ever called. Oh, I think I think it's out there somewhere. Oh, is it? Michael? Yeah. No. Um, but yeah, Twilight Zone's coming back. I can't think of anybody better than Jordan Peele to be the narrator this time around. I quite enjoy Jordan Peele's delivery on most things. Yeah, look, Ben, Twilight Zone, hit and miss. It's an anthology. It's going to be an anthology yeah. series again. Um, very relevant in the the fifties and sixties. A couple of sci-fi hot takes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he, this is his second anthology that will be coming out this year. Rather interestingly, I, I mentioned to you before on YouTube, he's going to have a sci-fi anthology based around. Uh, by the way, the difference that we're discerning here between the Twilight Zone and his new one, which is called Weird City, I think, okay. on YouTube. Oh, what yeah. is a YouTube original? That's going to be heavily sci-fi influenced, mm-hmm. high high science fiction, and high science fiction. Very, how are you? <laughs> very much in the tone of Black Mirror, I think, with a comedy spin. Mm-hmm. And then the Twilight Zone is a horror sci-fi anthology. It's it's meant to unsettle you, very much in the style of Black Mirror. I, I think that basically a lot of US networks have seen Black Mirror. I mean, like, so well, that's like, basically Twilight Zone with extra steps. We'd like we'd like some Black Mirror. Ben, speaking of Netflix and going off off the page here a Go bit, on. did you roll your eyeballs over Russian Doll? I haven't yet. I haven't yet. Happy Death Day meets Groundhog Day. Yeah, Happy Death Day meets Groundhog Day meets, at least initially, very unpleasant characters. I found it a bit hard to watch. <clears throat> Bill Murray is traditionally a very unpleasant character at the That's start the of, yeah. of so Groundhog Day. I am I am aware that it, those sort of things often start with the character being deeply unpleasant and then mm-hmm. finding their way. I'm hoping there's a bit of a twist on that and she stays horrible, to be honest. That would be good. Uh, Happy Death Day has also received a sequel. Yeah, Happy Death Day or... To you... <laughs> Ah, oh, very Happy good. Happy to you. Yeah, I'll watch that. Uh, Happy Death Day was one of my surprising favourite films of I, two years ago. I've not seen it yet. It's quite good. Is it that good it, two it years is. ago? I think so, yeah. Good grief. Yeah, I, Ben, I would watch it. It's quite good. Mm. Surprisingly I, I, good. I will, I will check it out when I go home. I have nothing else to do today. Ben, we've long considered doing an episode on time loop things. So maybe we'll both watch um, Russian Dolls and we'll talk about the best and the worst time loops. It has been heralded as one of the best shows of two, 2019. I know. Already. Already. The, the acting seems good, Ben. One of the issues I had with it is that there's a ferocious amount of smoking. And I don't. I find smoking quite unpleasant. That's not PC. Uh, um, not, not your... Not your dislike of smoking smoking mm. as as a glorified concept I have a bit of a thing where I, I actually find smoking so unpleasant that I find it hard to watch it you and I are very different mm. I am the product of an English literature education and to be cool in the English literature scene one must inhale smoke and various carcinogens mm. to be cool interesting uh, and that seems to have shaped somewhat of my attraction to people <laughs> <laughs> oops anyone listening I watch a lot of European films Ben <laughs> Speaking of uh, people who are different but similar, uh, my good lady friend was watching the trailers and she said to us, hey guys, uh, when you're doing your podcast, you should talk about the new film called Doppelgangers. I'm so sorry to mix good lady friend. That is just a horrible impression. I think it's pretty accurate. She's She's got a much nicer voice than that. That's a terrible voice. It's cracked and whiny. And my own voice is... I'm losing my voice. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm also... I see that a strange wobble today. I don't know what to do. Mm. Um, yeah, she's talking about us. Um, she yeah, met, you and I. She met... No, no, no. Us, the upcoming horror film from Jordan Peele. Uh, uh. Noted director of Get Out, who we've definitely just mentioned on the podcast, but I felt a need to 
if I had made Get Out, I would have called it Get Get Out of Here, you son of a bitch. Yes, son of a bitch. And you would have been censored and you probably would have tanked it. Um, Because a bunch of white people, spoilers for a film that came out two years ago, a bunch of white people stealing a bunch of white people's bodies is no good. They're stealing black people's bodies. No, 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 because you would have made it and it wouldn't have been as culturally relevant because... You're not black. Shocker thanks, for thanks any again. of those fans out there that thought that yeah. <laughs> Nick was black. You've revealed my secret. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's his his next horror film, his next big horror film. Looks bloody excellent looks from very the spooky. trailer. Yeah, yeah, very spooky. Um, but the reason that Go your on. good lady friend may have mistaken it for Doppelganger is it's because it features on a black family. Mm-hmm. Um that is going up against its doppelgangers. There's yeah. an evil version of them existing. Or maybe they're the evil version. Or maybe they're the evil version. Maybe they've moved. See, uh, so there's a couple Watch of Watch out, Ben, there's a twist. There's a couple of there's a couple of theories floating around online. Uh, in the new trailer, she says, ever since we've moved up here, coincidences mm-hmm. have been happening yeah. more and more. I think what it is, is it's a black family who's moved out of maybe a traditionally black area or a ghetto area and they've moved to a very fancy white neighborhood Mm -hmm. um, and this is their guilt surrounding leaving their roots behind because if you listen to if you watch the first trailer go on they listen to the song I've got five on it I've got five I know it I'm aware of the 90s for for the listeners for the listeners it's a famous hip hop R&B track from the 90s and the father says this one's a classic right here Um, and then they have a debate about drugs and whether it's about drugs and blah 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 and the mother's trying to distance that so I don't know if it's a I don't know what you'd call it. I'm sure there's a... Are you going to say black guilt? (laughs) No, no, no. I think you were. That's what your face was saying. Roots guilt? I don't know. Leaving your... I don't know. Is it a chip on your shoulder about leaving your culture behind? A a kind of gentrification guilt. Yeah. I I suppose you could look at it that way. Like Dubliners who um, overcorrect the sounds. Yeah, the. Like me. Um, but yeah generally speaking it, it's going to be interesting that would be in keeping with the kind of tone that Jordan Peele sets for a lot of his work where watch out Ben a twist bla- yeah black identity is questioned from a, a number of parallels mm. um, he's spoken about that in interviews before he and Keegan-Michael Key um, are the product of mixed race families and he says he can he often finds it very difficult to be in terms of, of ghetto black and then educated black and he finds a, a real juxtaposition in those two parts of his own identity so I'd say we might see a little bit of that and then on top of that it, the reason your good lady friend thought it was called doppelganger is because traditionally in German folklore if you meet your doppelganger you have to kill them <gasps> or yeah what happens they kill you oh so I think what we're going to see is those two sets of of identical people go at it do you think that in the end the family will be composed of half of the doppelgangers and half of the originals and they'll kind of make do with it that'll be the creepy ending scene yeah where like one woman is there with her eyes wide open next to the husband who's like maybe maybe one of the kids is one of the doppelgangers yeah but we won't know maybe we won't know until that maybe it'll be the oh we pan out from the kitchen as the mother's preparing dinner and we just see something very creepy maybe someone playing with a scissors a scissors seems to be a big Mm. Uh, thing cutting the link between past and oh, present I, see. I, get it. I get it then look uh, it turns out that Michael and I are actually uh, Jordan Peele uh, where <laughs> it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's the two people on each other's shoulders uh, in a big old trench coat um, but yeah it'll be interesting to see Ben I still to this day can't tell Key and Peele apart I don't know which one is uh, which Keegan-Michael Key is the tall bald man right and Jordan Peele is the shorter gentleman with spectacles and which one's doing this? 
Jordan Peele, the shorter man with the spectacles. Oh. Uh, Keegan-Michael Key has focused on his acting career since the end of Key and Peele, which, by the way, is one of the finest sketch shows to come out of America in the last 15 years. Um, you should go check it out. But um, he focused on his acting career and then Jordan Peele focused on writing and directing. Ben, it's not racist that I can't tell them apart because I also can't tell Ant and Dec apart. You can't tell me and anybody apart. <laughs> you keep letting other people into the room. Yeah, Shane, Shane is not me. Yeah, well, look. <laughs> just head just, the mic. I know he's butted the mic. Dude. Ben, you know who won't go see us? Go on. Liam Neeson. Woo! That's a good old segue. Mm. Um, so for anybody who doesn't know... Go on. Um, Am I allowed to say the quote in a Liam Neeson voice or should we avoid the quote altogether? Yeah, no, say it, go on. I, I so, basically, Liam Neeson this week is promoting a new movie. Uh, Shocker, it's a revenge film where he has to track somebody down. And give him a um, So, in an interview with one of the Good Morning America shows, I'm not sure which one it was, but it was a morning talk show in the States, in Data America. He was asked if he could relate to the feelings of seeking revenge and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that in his films. So Liam Neeson told a story uh, from 40 years ago where a friend of his was raped, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and he apparently, uh, I, I take it from the interview that she, she was raped by a, a black man. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Um, you weren't there. He doesn't clarify whether that's the case or not. But then he proceeds to say how he carried this anger around with him for many, many, many weeks after the event and he would wait around areas that were traditionally black mm-hmm. um, and wait for someone to come up and give him an excuse, basically, to murder. And then he uses the phrase, a black bastard. Mm-hmm. Now, before we continue, Michael and Benjamin's podcast do not condone the use of any kind of racial <laughs> slur. But he he uses it, he, he puts it in air quotes to say that's what he was thinking 40 years ago. Yeah, so I think the key thing here and what's been blown completely out of proportion is... This is not Liam Neeson's opinion today, hmm. near as I can tell. But yeah, well, he might be a horrible racist. But he I might mean, be. But he, do, he he's done a lot of UNICEF work <laughs> in the last sixteen years, and I don't know. It's it's tricky. Obviously, the internet exploded. Mm-hmm. Everybody now we're calling for a boycott of the movie. But I think Ben. I've boycotted it by... I wasn't going to go see it anyway. I was never going to see it anyway. I didn't know that Liam Neeson was still making blockbuster films. He should really branch out. But look, that's how he makes his money. Yeah. And that's fine. I do think in the context of the question, it's a perfectly... I I think he could have chosen his words an awful lot better. I think there was a foul choice of words. I think, Ben, Liam Neeson is somewhat lacking in guile. Yeah, I think he lacks... First of all, he's from Northern Ireland. This is way back when, in the 1980s... He doesn't have the finesse for bloody the political minefield that is a talk show. Yeah, he. But he's always. I'm, I'm, I'm not excusing this, by the way. Uh, well, I'm not excusing. None it of us at the podcast are excusing this. Just ben, I'm not excusing it or condemning it because my opinions don't matter on the topic. But um, he often comes across oddly on talk shows. He he misses jokes and he misses cues and he says something that he thinks is very funny and other people are kind of. Don't react. He's an odd fellow. Yeah, he hasn't got the social grace required to excel in a talk show format. Yeah, he often puts his foot in in talk shows. But isn't it interesting that what you said, it was it was 40 years ago. It, it, it harkens back to the James Gunn thing. Yeah, of, well, we're, we're digging up people's past. Well, in this case, he dug up his own past. Yeah, that's where that's kind of the difference. 
he dug up his own past and brought it to, um, to, to the public. Yeah, brought it to light. But he's now being rounded upon by the keyboard warriors of the world. And people are asking to boycott the film. I, I don't think it's right. The James Gunn thing is still ridiculous to me now. The Kevin Hart situation seems to have resolved itself somewhat. What did Kevin Hart do? Uh, Kevin Hart was dropped as Oscars host because he made a couple of homophobic jokes 15 years ago. Oh, remember? yeah. You he's remember not a big this? fan of the old gays. Um, well, he wasn't. So I don't know if it's relevant to today. People change, Michael. I think that's the big key element. And I think the internet tends to forget that just because someone may have had an awkward phase back in the day doesn't mean they don't grow out of that or else mm. what's the point in us all being here why it's do we all not just stop at 25 it's very interesting ben um, ben it's tricky yeah it's more than we can solve on one sunday sunday morning podcast hollywood take notes sunday yeah. morning listen hollywood you son of a bitch ben speaking of cultural sensitivity yes uh let's talk about something for the next 20 minutes that might come back to haunt you in 20 years time it'll come back to haunt me by the end of the day um <laughs> <laughs> Michael, there's a trailer doing the rounds. Robert Rodriguez is back, baby. Yeah. Um, he is being backed by somebody big. Who's he backed by? Jimmy C. Uh, you got, Underwater uh, Man. No, 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 no. The King of Aquaman. No, the producer for this film that he's Yeah, Jimmy promoting. C. James Cameron. James Cameron, thank you. There we go. Uh, James Cameron is backing his anime adaptation, Alita ben, Battle Angel, you're, which comes... You're talking over ah, your sorry. filter. Uh, he's, he's backing... Uh, Alita, uh, Alita Battle Angel which is the movie adaptation of Battle Angel Alita which is a famous manga comic book from Japan oh yeah classic Japan classic ben, Japan um, here's the thing before we get any deeper into this first of all I don't rate James Cameron that highly as a filmmaker I think he's terrible well he did make the good Terminators he made the second Terminator is a good Terminator the first Terminator is an all-time classic, Benjamin, and I will what? fight you if you disagree with me. Yeah, and I'll lose. Like, the threat <laughs> carries no weight anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It'd be like punching a kitten. Oh, we should <laughs> it'd, do that. It'd make you feel big. <laughs> It'd end exactly like everybody else expected. Um, so, yeah, no, the first Terminator is a great film. Ben, <laughs> shut up for a second. Um, but, yeah, the, the, he's a very good technical filmmaker. Yes. And he tends to be at the bleeding edge of movie technology for all the sins that carries yeah exactly um but here's where i was going with this um a producer does not a film make no robert rodriguez does the film make in this particular case exactly yeah. S- senior steven spielberg if you remember noted hollywood savant steven spielberg was the producer of the transformers films yeah which is just a terrible choice all around for steve well i mean not from a profit point of view exactly that boy made bank that's what I'm saying. Mm. Uh, like, it doesn't mm. matter who produces your bloody Hollywood films. It's all, it's director and writer that really... And studio. Yeah, yeah. That really make a difference. Although, I can imagine Jimmy C was pretty open with letting Robert Rodriguez do what he wanted. I, I think that's very clear from the from the action that we're seeing in the trailers. The early reactions to Alita Battle Angel are, are very good. Mostly positive. Uh, mostly positive. Um, admittedly, not a... Uh, not a perfect film by any stretch, according to most of the reviewers, but rather interestingly, Go on. Um, seems to be kind of a, a shining light for anime adaptations in general. Possibly. Um, Here's the thing, though. Um, we should probably point out that it has actually been out here for a couple of days and we have, through circumstance, mostly me being trapped in England. In a sex hotel. In a sex hotel. Not for a anyone. real sex hotel for anybody who thinks that Mick engages in that kind of illustrious behaviour. Look, if anyone's following us on Instagram, it should be still there in our story. Yeah, check it out. Chickity check it. Yeah, it was very good. I got trapped in England. But Ben, 
me being trapped in England was not actually seeing Alita Battle Angel, so we've had to refocus our idea slightly. Yeah, well, basically, we probably will see Alita Battle Angel at some stage during the week. I might mm-hmm. pop along to it and just drag my eyeballs over it. Um, first of all, it's a saving grace for bloody Robert Rodriguez, who has not been making the best films lately. No, he's um, had a bit of a bad run. The last big thing he made, the last significant cultural thing that he made... Spy Kids. No, it was probably Sin City. Oh, I and said then Spy Kids. Spy Kids was... Famously, I think has become more of a, a parody of Robert Rodriguez's style of filmmaking. Um, and then he tried to make Machete or Machete, uh, Machete with kills. Danny Trejo. Uh, he made a sequel to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Machete was pretty good in terms of exploitation flicks and kind of mexploitation. I don't know. Mexican yeah. exploitation uh, films. Rodriguez in it. Um, yeah, big mexploitation film. Did we create a new genre? Send a new genre? No, I think Robert um, Rodriguez did it. Rob, you can just send the, the paychecks to us. Uh, courtesy of Michael and Benjamin's podcast yeah, at um, gmail.com at gmail.com um, we have PayPal but uh, traditionally go on the bloody adaptation of anime has gone poorly for western studios yeah uh, in terms of both critical reaction and profit yes although it does look like Elite Battle Angel is on track to become a 200 million dollar flop oh okay so from a budgetary point of view it's too expensive it's too expensive yeah stop too big yeah stop Stop spending $200 million on this type of movie, guys. It's, it's interesting how films are now... We used to have the phrase too big to fail, but now it seems to be too big to succeed with many of those That's a very particular... good point, Ben. That's what this episode is called. Um, <laughs> too big to succeed. Ben, so tell us just briefly. Let's imagine we're an idiot. Mm-hmm. And just briefly tell us first, what is manga and anime? I know everyone knows. God. But just give us a little thing. Some people, bet we have some listeners who won't know what manga means. and So give us the lowdown okay. on, on that first. So to, to give you, first of all, to preface this, I am not a huge manga or anime fan. You're not a huge anything. But the real, well, well, <laughs> that hurts. Um, but uh, the reason for this <laughs> might be. <laughs> I got him. I got him good. <laughs> so Ben, what, 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 even, what even is manga? Even. Yes, yeah, so I should probably preface this by saying. You and I are not huge fans of manga or anime. No. You and I are by no means experts no. <laughs> on manga or anime. But Go on. from the research that I've done this week, mm-hmm. it, it's important to say that there's possibly a reason that you and I are not fans. Oh. Uh, manga is a traditionally Japanese form of comic book storytelling. The so books are backwards, Ben. The books are backwards. They read yeah. from, from the L back cover to the front cover. Mm. But on the page, they read right to left like 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 us, but Look, the book backwards. It's a whole weird foreign thing. Oh, I'm, I'm foreign gonna, people, Ben. I'm, I'm, aiming for a, I'm aiming for a Liam Neeson takedown style <laughs> thing of, of uh, Japanese manga. But it's traditional. It evolved from Yukio uh, art stylings and the panel art that is traditional in feudal Japan. Um, mm. Where stories would be told, not unlike a tapestry from medieval Europe, yeah. but this time they would section them off into triptychs and stuff like that, so they would follow. So it's panels and gutters, exactly like a traditional comic book. Mm. From right to left, though. Yeah, from right to left this time, though. But, uh, with that in mind, the themes and the style is completely at odds with what we as American comic book consumers would consider traditional right um there's a lot of difficult ways that you can look at stuff like this but one of the key ones is from scott mcleod who we've mentioned in our visual storytelling podcast which Mm. you can find if you go backwards in the old podcast there on spotify um on spotify we are on spotify if you'd like to listen to us there Mm. um give us an l follow boost the stats 
But uh, Scott McLeod mentioned that uh, these two stars evolved quite distinctly. And, and one of the ways that you can tell the difference is that traditionally American comic books uh, follow what's called... Oh, wait, I'm going to lose it here. I have to try and find it. No, it's lost in my massive notes here. Go on. Uh, oh, Great content. Suck. Yeah, absolutely. Gold. Um, okay, so yeah, generally, um, when you watch action evolve in an American comic book, it's focused very much on action to action panel. Yeah. So, for example, Psylocke will kick a man in the head. Exactly. Uh, and then in the next panel, you'll see him connecting her with his counterpunch. Yeah. Okay. That that works very well for American comic books. And for, if you, for some reason, the first thing that came to my head was when Psylocke fought Sabretooth. Fair enough. If that's, if that's what you're looking at. So, yeah. In an example comic book there, you'd have three panels. In panels number one, um, Psylocke kicks Sabretooth. In panel number two, Sabretooth claws Psylocke. Yeah. In panel number three, she finishes the fight with her... Psychic knife. Uh, psychic knife. Okay. The the aim of that is to show the most key action in each panel. And right. that's what moves through. And traditionally that's what attracts me to good visual storytelling mm-hmm. is when someone follows those rules very closely. However, Japanese storytelling focuses on what's called aspect-to-aspect storytelling. Oh, this is very interesting. Yeah. So what happens in aspect-to-aspect storytelling is you focus far more on setting an atmosphere and tone to the work as opposed to the action. So the way that's kind of boiled down by Scott McCloud is in an American comic book, you're focusing very much on the journey throughout the comic. Okay. So getting from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. However... In a Japanese comic book, you're focused very much on being present and there right. in the space that you have. So if, if we take a look at that traditionally, what you might have in that saber-tooth scene is in an American comic book, you'll have the three key points to the action. Yeah. In a Japanese comic book, if they were to adapt the same thing with Psylocke and Sabretooth, mm-hmm. you would see the forest that they're about to fight in. Yeah. You would see the ground that they're about to fight on. Yeah. And then you would focus on the two characters individually as they prepare for the fight. Yeah. So one slows time down. Japanese comic books traditionally slow the time down oh, and God. give you time to, you know, exist in it. Mm-hmm. And then American comic books get right to the nitty gritty. Yeah. You can see this um, in a really weird example. Um, in 2000, and, is it 2006? Don't know, Ben. Oh, God, I'm not going to remember this. But The Departed by Martin Scorsese mm. uh, came out. The Departed by Martin Scorsese um, is actually an adaptation of a famous uh, Japanese film called Infernal Affairs. Yes. Um, Infernal Affairs has those really stylized long shots where characters look at each other and, you know, very deep moments of contemplation. Whereas Martin Scorsese is consistently pushing action. So characters will always be moving or doing something that they can do as they do it. Um, and when we see stuff like this, it's a good example of the two styles being succinct. One focuses always on action. The other focuses on the place of action. I guess mm. if you want to look at it that way. So that's one of the jarring differences between these two things. And maybe why we, as people who were raised on the American style of storytelling and comic book storytelling, probably don't really connect with it in the same that's, way. Is that, Ben, then, is that why five episodes of Dragon Ball will be people screaming at each other getting ready for a fight. So that's a, that's a different problem, and I'll, I'll come to that okay. a little bit later. But then uh, manga is the comic book form, and anime is usually adapted from manga. Not always. There are some original anime, of course, that are very successful. But usually they are the adaptation, and it just means cartoon. It's, mm-hmm. it's a cartoon version of that manga. Okay, um, And the exact same storytelling tropes are present in both. An anime will tend to focus on the situation. Uh, you'll have a lot of long lingering shots as the character contemplates something or, you know, does something like that. Whereas in an American cartoon, 
we're waiting for that action shot baby everybody's mm-hmm. always moving there's always a movement of the character we're always moving from one side to the next trying to push the action forward mm-hmm. so again just remember Japanese storytelling is being there American storytelling is getting there okay so that's the way you can look at it that's not me that's scott mcleod i wish i was able to succinctly wrap up that as we go along but what you were mentioning a little bit earlier there was uh, shonen anime so um we'll come to that in a second but traditionally what's been happening very very lately is that hollywood has turned its eyes towards japan and has started adapting these massively popular animes Mm -hmm. into live-action films. Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell being the most recent massive flop as an example of that. (laughs) So there's a couple of reasons that, first of all, they're doing this in Hollywood. First of all, it has a dedicated fan base built in. Yeah. So the way Hollywood execs look at that is money. Uh, Money. They love money. People will shell out money to see this because there is a huge anime fan community and manga fan community in the United States. There's one in Ireland too. There's one one across the world, but globally speaking, there's an English-based anime... There's an English-speaking anime fan base, Mm -hmm. which means you can make an English-speaking anime film adaptation and just get that money. What Hollywood doesn't understand is when you adapt a property like that that has a beloved ravenous fan base mm-hmm. you can't fuck it up well you can but <laughs> you, you shouldn't fuck it up yeah. <laughs> might be a better use of English so this is where this kind of comes in so the, three of the big ones that have come out in the last couple of years have had a lot of controversy uh, flowing around them go on the three that, that I have chosen to focus on in this particular case are of course Ghost in the Shell yeah. starring Scarlett Johansson no good uh, <laughs> Death Note which was a Netflix adaptation of a very famous comic book nearly which have, good which you have downstairs yeah for some reason um, and then uh, Full Metal Alchemist now Full Metal Alchemist does not have a white person live action adaptation wow. it has a now this is important this is important wow. because alright Liam Neeson calm down when we look at stuff like this yeah. whitewashing is usually the number one concern um, so to focus on this I'm going to focus on probably one of the most famous anime movies of all time which is Ghost in the Shell right. and how they just tanked that lovely lovely ripe franchise into the ground Go on. so the first thing they did is um, Ghost in the Shell is set in a futuristic Hong Kong uh, right. that's what it is the lead character is called the Major mm-hmm. uh, she is Asian mm-hmm. Who do they cast to play the major Scarlett, in... Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, Scarlett Johansson, who is not Asian. Famous okay. not Asian Scarlett Famous Johansson. Famous not Asian uh, Scarlett Johansson. And this is a case of whitewashing. You take a traditionally um, international character uh, from basically a non-white, a non-ethnically white race, and they change them into a white character because you get more money if you put Scarlett Johansson at the top of your film. Isn't it odd, though, that often these films these stories are set in a kind of post-apocalyptic America. Yeah. But then the characters still have Japanese names. Yeah, yeah. Because you need to bank on that, those Japan fanboys. Let's say, for example, Elite Battle Angel. Yes. Am I jumping the gun here? No, no, go ahead. Uh, let's say Elite Battle Angel or Battle Angel Elita or even more accurately, Gurum! <laughs> so what it's called in Japan. Um, that's set in America. Is it? Yeah, it's set in like a post-apocalyptic future America. But everybody still has names like Daisuke Ito. Torishi-san. And uh, Zapan and Gali. And they all look, I'm doing air quotes here, Japanese. Well, so that's the very... Sorry, finish your point now. Well, they they all look Japanese. But only, uh, air quotes again, only because 
they look like typical anime characters. Okay. Yeah. And there's a certain point. I you see. I don't think they have this debate in Japan, because in Japan these characters are supposed to be Europeans or Americans. They're drawing what they think Americans look like, and then when the Americans adapt it and cast Americans, no one in Japan is upset. Yes, Michael. Right, okay. Yes, it is almost like you're reading my notes. I'm delighted that you brought this up. So this is why I'm mentioning Full Metal Alchemist Quite. in this particular one. Full Metal Alchemist is is one first of all one of the only anime that I have seen completely. I have I seen have seen none of it. Ben, I have seen Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood to completion. Um, that was a weird phrase. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> bloody wank fantasy over there. <laughs> Damn it! But um, it's a traditionally European set. Um, anime and manga uh, featuring uh, white folk. Oh. Um, they still have... Uh, but they use names like Elric and... I can't remember the Oh, names like the Japanese might think were... Uh, would were, think were would be European traditionally names. Eastern European. There's certain little towns that look a little bit like Prague mm-hmm. or, you know, a traditional Germanic town, something like that. And they recently adapted that into a live-action Japanese version. Uh, live-action live action Japanese language versions are very common. Mm. And still, they're beloved by the Japanese fan base. And mm. there's no worry if they cast a Japanese character as a traditionally white character from the anime. This this doesn't seem to phase them at all. Mm. Um, Japanese culture is only too happy to borrow what they deem to be Western culture. Now, that's very important. It is heavily stylized. And they cherry-pick the moments they want to pick. I think the most famous example of that is probably Cowboy Bebop. Again, never seen it. Cowboy Bebop is probably the most highly regarded anime. More than Naruto? I, I think 10, 20 times more than Naruto. More than... When, when what's you, the one about pirates with stretchy arms? Uh, that's One Piece. One Piece. More uh, than One Piece? When, when you... <laughs> more than One Piece. When you meet uh, a real nerd... Go on. <laughs> who who counts themselves as a refined nerd. Yeah. They'll tell you that Cowboy Bebop yes. is the finest anime on the planet. It's a real gatekeeper snob anime thing. Is oh, you he... haven't even seen Cowboy Bebop. Is he the one in the red coat? <laughs> uh, no. Okay, that, that is Full Metal Alchemist. Okay. What you're referring to. Uh, Cowboy Bebop is the famous one about a bounty hunter in space that travels around. Oh, that sounds fun. And uh, with his crew and cashes in on various bounties as he goes along. Very similar to Valerian. Okay. Um, and the creator of Cowboy Bebop uh, happily cites his influence from Valerian. The comic, not the crap film. Not the crap film. And he also happily cites his American influences. He has chosen all the cool moments like toothpicks and stuff like that yeah. that he has seen in old American films and he thinks are cool. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of blended them into this one big world. Right. Um, so it features around Spike and his crew and they, they do all this. Spike. But Japan is only too happy to take all this culture that they find interesting mm-hmm. and just blend it into their culture. Mm-hmm. People only lose their minds in America, when, when we the other way. when we do it the other way, which is no, it's not it's not reasonable. I'm I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's a reasonable thing to do. I understand it's important to have representation in works and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but casting the major as a white woman was not a huge scandal. It was at a certain point, I think a lot of these people forget that it's a profit vehicle. It's not meant to be a faithful adaptation. Executives have seen a market; they want to boost it. 
We'd and, like to get these fans and Scarlett Johansson fans. Yeah, and they're trying to they're maximizing the their wank investments. Fantasy guys. Exactly. The Benjamin the Benjamins <laughs> of the world oh, wow. with their bizarre wank fantasies. But so then we have this culture. So when they adapt, they, they do it in a number of, of pretty awful ways. So I, I'm gonna call this section repackaging and straying from the source material. Okay. So especially with the Ghost in the Shell adaptation, there was a lot of mess up. They took a lot of scenes from the anime. Mm-hmm. And they kind of grafted them on to their live action movie. Yeah, but, but not they, as good. They didn't take the original story of the anime film, mm-hmm. so it seems oddly out of place. It's a Frankenstein film mm-hmm. that just doesn't work because they try to do beat by beat visual adaptations, but they just don't do them right. They miss it or something like that, or somebody tries to innovate on the production team on the live action thing. And I understand why that would happen because you hire creatives and creatives want to put their own spin on stuff. But your fanboys only want to see... If you're going to do a shot-for-shot remake, do a shot-for-shot remake. Yeah, like Psycho. Sure, if you want to look at it that way. No one liked uh, that. No one liked that. But they don't have a diehard Japanese fanbase. I I think it's important to note how diehard... Well, see, some people love that now. No. I hated it when I saw it. I liked it, but no one liked it. No, but there's a a diehard Snyder (laughs) fanbase, for whatever bizarre reason... That really likes that style of filmmaking. But I would say that Zack Snyder is heavily influenced in many of his things by anime. Mm. Baby Doll being a, a really big example of Sucker that. Punch. Uh, Super Punch, sorry. Sucker Punch. <laughs> uh, Sucker Punch being a really good example of that. So I, I think, you know, these two things bleed into each other all over the place. But what happens... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what happens when That's we try to do that? Hepatitis. We... Oh, That's how Pamela Anderson got hepatitis C. Oh. Oh, that was Tommy Lee. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, they rhyme. Um, Where were you? So when you try, <laughs> when you try to adapt them, they just do it wrong. They 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 also fail to take into account, I think, the cultural significance of a lot of anime, mm-hmm. um, and more importantly, the philosophical tone of a lot of anime films. Uh, Ghost in the Shell is heavily philosophical. It deals. Ghost in the Shell refers to the soul and the body. Mm-hmm. Ghost being the soul, shell being the body. And the major is a cybernetic, a completely cybernetic android form with a human mind. Exactly inside. like a little battle angel. Um, yeah, very, very similar to that. Very similar to that. It's a very heavy concept in, in that kind of thing. Um, and deeply philosophical. She meets a, an AI life form that wants to bond with her to create an even better life form. It's a whole thing. And if she accepts this, she'll be freer from the program that runs her. But she'll also lose what she deems to be her consciousness. Mm-hmm. She, she may lose her consciousness. And it's it deals with all these things. Scarlett Johansson does not do any of that. It's just a revenge thriller. Yeah, but she's in a sexy suit. But she's in a sexy suit. Um, and so you just take all that philosophical building up. And it's very important uh, philosophical building up on what it is to be human. And they throw it out the window. Ben, here's the thing, though. Mm-hmm. M- mangas. Yes tend to be serialized. Yes. And they tend to be very, 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 very fucking long. Right? Oh, sorry, I'm jumping no, the gun. No, 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 you're not jumping the gun. You're giving me a lead in, Michael. So, like, if you're talking about a nine-volume manga, and then you're going to try and adapt that, in in the Japanese adaptations, they'll often, and I'm not a huge fan of a lot of them. For example, no. the original Battle Angel Alita no, Alita Battle Angel. No, Battle Angel Alita. The anime. The Gunam! Um, I'm not a huge fan of that. I, I didn't think oh. it was amazing. Okay. It's too... 
it's an adaptation of two of the volumes into like 40 minute two self-contained 40 minute segments that if you smush them together they make a movie ish ish but it doesn't really have a resolution or anything like that that could be the issue to throw it back to american comics ben we're looking there at invincible yes which is 12 volumes uh, 12 substantial volumes long 12 long volumes and the mistake that you would make if you tried to make an invincible film would be to try to condense the best bits of those 12 volumes into one film. Yeah, that wouldn't work. But that's often what American adaptations of manga do. They're like, here's all the best bits all together in one film. Yeah. Did you like it? <laughs> so, no. <laughs> so what you're describing is uh, called shonen anime. Shonen anime is roughly what you can boil it down to is action anime. Right. And the key demographic of... Ah! Sh- exactly. Of shown an anime is fifteen year olds, and this. <laughs> this <laughs> the poor listeners. Sorry, Sorry listeners. guys. Um, what you can put the key demographic of shown an anime is the thirteen to sixteen year old male demographic. Right. There's no shame in that. That's what they do. They adapt them from manga. So we the three key examples I'm going to use here are Naruto. Yeah. Um, Bloody Dragon Ball Z yeah. and One Piece. I'd say Dragon Ball Z, but that's... that's uh, whichever you prefer, Michael. Yeah. Um, these are the three that are probably the biggest. Um, we've had one massive flop adaptation for Dragon Ball Z where they just no completely good. lost the spirit of it. Mm-hmm. Um, just shockingly bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important here to look at the Japanese publishing industry for manga. Right. If you are successful... yeah. You are expected... Which I am not. <laughs> no, but if you're a successful manga writer, oh, sorry. you are expected to produce that comic for as long as it is popular. Mm-hmm. For many people, this can result in a career of work where they will never have to worry about uh, something else again. What it also leads to is recycling ideas to keep it relevant and current if you've found something that fans in Japan like. Ah. So initially, there's always one initial goal um, in a lot of the mangas, for example, in Dragon Ball Z, it's to collect all the Dragon Balls, Dragon put them Balls, together yeah. and get a magic get a wish. wish. Mm-hmm. Um, in One Piece, it's to become One Piece. Uh, it's which is, uh, Sorry, to find sorry to find One Piece, uh, which is a giant pirate treasure. Um, and in Naruto, it's to become... I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Basically, King of Ninjas. Uh, Hogasan? Ho- Ho- King remember. of the Ninjas. King of the Ninjas. Um, is that like King of the Travelers? Yeah, I guess not dissimilar. Okay. Not dissimilar, uh, but with shurikens and pointy objects instead, um, of, instead of pry bars, instead of pure fists. <laughs> by um, yeah, so generally speaking, that's the initial goal, and then obviously they attain that goal occasionally. But if you're successful in Japan, yes. you're expected to keep that franchise going, right? Which, but, but you've achieved your goal. Mm, in Western storytelling, we have a miniseries. In shonen manga, you keep going, no matter what, um, because you have a ravenous fan base that wants more. So this is where the problem of escalating power levels comes in. 
Ah. We were like, oh, his power level is over 9,000. Over 9,000. And then 20, 20 years later, 9, his power is level is over 85 million. Yeah. And you're looking at it going, oh, lads, how did this happen? Because they have to keep escalating the stakes. That's mm-hmm. the problem. Every time you have a powerful character, and there's actually something referred to uh, in Dragon Ball. It's called the Piccolo effect. Right. So Piccolo was an adversary in the original Dragon Ball yeah, run. Yeah, he's green. Yeah, he's green. He later becomes a friend. He has a turban. <laughs> He later becomes a friend. Ben, he has a turban, Ben. <laughs> he later becomes a friend of Goku. Yeah. But he's a huge threat in the first couple of series. And then as the series roll on, he becomes completely insignificant. His power level is just useless. Yeah, he's got like power level 500. That's the, but that's the thing. So once you, once you start escalating all the time, you lose your stakes. So what do they do uh, to try and keep interest they have these huge five episode long battles and yeah. the stakes consistently go up and you lose that quality they are massively popular and so Hollywood thinks yeah let's do that yeah let's, let's do, do that yeah. and what happens is they try and adapt these things that have huge casts mm-hmm. with loads of characters massive arcs mm-hmm. And it could never possibly work for a single movie. It's like when you try and adapt. It, it's why Game of Thrones works so well. You're adapting books into series. We're actually quite short on time. Yeah. And one of, the best, one of the best things about the kind of golden age of TV that we're living in right now is that more projects that traditionally could never have made it as uh, movies are becoming TV shows. Like and getting Game of Thrones. Their, get, yeah. Getting get, wait, what? Game of Thrones. Yeah, like Game of Thrones. Yeah. And getting their fair dues. Um, we may have to leave it here, actually, but that's one of the huge reasons that a lot of those films uh, tank. So we may actually do a part two on this and, and take a look at it after we've seen Elite at Battle Angel. That's maybe. not a bad idea. Because, Ben, we haven't even touched on the kind of um, the modern ones like uh, One Hitman. Yeah, which are <laughs> satires of One Punch Man. I know, I got you, it okay. um, Which are satires of that kind of thing. So I think we will probably do a part two on this one because we're running out of time right now. Mm. Um, or but, Ben, you know it's very popular? Go on. My Hero Academia. My Hero Academia what is the super hell is popular. That? I thought that was a nut. Yeah. <laughs> My Hero Academia. <laughs> um, very nice. Oh, that'll be, the, uh, that'll be the name of episode number two oh, on this particular thing. This is going to be a classic Michael and Benjamin's two-parter. Um, but... To help me with my research for this, is anyone out there a huge anime manga fan? There they are. What we have know I com- that for a fact. <laughs> what have I completely messed up this week? Yeah. Uh, let us know in the comments. If you're on YouTube, you can give us now a comment. If you're on Instagram, let us know what you thought. Um, we could use a review on iTunes. That stick us now a review on iTunes. That'd be good. Um, in Japanese. Uh, yeah, if you want to stick it on in Japanese. I know we have some japanese people that we've we've met over the years who do listen to the podcast occasionally and um, please let us know what your favorite ones are and, what, ah! and if you enjoy the adaptations of stuff from your culture um and then more importantly than that on top of everything else we are on soundcloud and spotify, spotify. find us on spotify and give us an l follow we love yep. your feedback we'd love more um make us off to find another sex hotel and sex uh, hotel. i'm gonna put myself through some more anime very good okay bye everybody bye.